You're listening to High Temperature Times, a podcast for all you refractory enthusiasts out there. My name is Griffin Patterson, and I'm excited to host this special episode today on refractories in the space industry. With the Mars rover containing Atlas V rocket getting primed to launch, it's amazing to look at all the people, industries, and technologies that had to come together to achieve this phenomenal event. I, for one, have been completely engulfed by all the awesome videos and stories of feats of engineering accomplished to make this happen. But more than anything, I'm proud to say that Harbison Walker International also had a hand at making launches happen. With me today are Corey Forrester and John Bortner to talk about the hidden industry's involvement in space shuttle launches. Hey, Griffin. Hey, John. Hey, Griffin. Now, I've invited you two on here today because, John, of all of us at HWI, you've probably had the most direct experience with this industry. And, Corey, you've worked closely with customers to develop and qualify Apollocrete for this market. So I look forward to hearing some of these great stories. Uh, anyways, when looking at a space shuttle, you see everything from thrusters up, but it's hard to believe the amount of engineering that goes on below that. John, you've actually had boots on the ground here. What are the rest of us not seeing? Well, Griffin, uh, there's lots that you're not seeing uh, below those ultra-powerful rockets. You know, pretty much like any aspect of a rocket launch, there's uh, tremendous uh, technology that goes into the design uh, and uh, construction of not only the rockets themselves, but the pad and everything uh, down below. Just imagine the uh, amount of impact that pad is uh, seeing from uh, thrusters and uh, the heat uh, that's present. Uh, there's just tremendous amount of forces that uh, are being uh, absorbed. You're talking about millions of pounds of thrust uh, required to uh, hurl that massive rocket into uh, space. So it, it's pretty, uh, pretty amazing stuff. As you get closer to the pad itself, uh, you're going to start to notice some huge pipes. Uh, and, and they're basically surrounding the uh, deflector and, uh, and trench uh, areas. Uh, basically, uh, these ducts uh, open uh, just prior to uh, ignition. And within seconds, you've got millions of gallons of water flowing into the, uh, the trench area. Basically, uh, as you see a uh, rocket uh, launch, uh, you'll uh, notice the uh, plumes of uh, steam that are rising. Uh, your first thought probably is that uh, that's all part of the uh, propulsion system itself. But instead, that's those millions of gallons of water instantly being converted into uh, steam. Now, understand the, the purpose of that uh, water is to cool uh, incredibly hot gases, and it also muffles the, uh, the vibration of those uh, rocket thrusts. If you didn't have that amount of water uh, present, uh, you'd uh, virtually tear the, uh, the pad apart. I've been fortunate enough to uh, observe up close and personal two uh, separate uh, launches uh, at the, the uh, NASA complex. Um, I've also had the uh, unique opportunity to uh, walk the uh, space uh, complex uh, the, shortly after launch. Within two hours after they did their safety protocol, we were on site looking for the uh, amount of damage that took place. That thing must have still been sizzling. <laughs> it it certainly uh, surprised you with the uh, amount of um, acids and those kind of things that you don't uh, quite realize uh, are present. Um, the other thing, I, I had a good opportunity to uh, really observe a complete launch pad rebuild. That was pretty uh, painstaking uh, work. Uh, we installed over 100,000 pieces of our uh, 
Cruzite 70, uh, 70% aluminum refractory uh, brick. Uh, incredible technology that went into uh, um, meeting these customers' uh, demands. But as, as the, uh, uh, the launch company uh, reminded us, uh, it's going to uh, have some of the most powerful rockets in the world being launched from this site. And powerful rockets uh, translate into extreme temperatures and uh, gas velocities. Corey, before we get into the specifics of the refractory, can you outline what the purpose of this flame trench is? Yeah, great question, Griffin. Uh, essentially, the, the flame trench and that deflector pad is uh, used to safely redirect that exhaust, as well as the water vapor that John has already alluded to, away from not only the rocket, but also the launch infrastructure. So this is absolutely critical for a successful mission, because you can imagine there's quite a lot of uh, delicate components and sensors required to fire something into space. Uh, but more importantly, uh, primarily just because of the tremendous amount of potential energy that is directly above the pad uh, in the form of the fuel. Uh, this is a primary concern, not only because of the value of the rocket, uh, the value of the mission payload and the launch infrastructure, uh, but also it is certainly a uh, uh, safety concern uh, as we are now entering into a point in history in which human life is going to be increasingly part of that payload. Well, that's a great point. It, it seems like a, a very intense process, not just from the payload and the people, but from the refractory standpoint as well. Probably more intense than maybe all the other industries that refractories are used in. How do you even qualify a material for this type of application? Yeah, I got to admit, as an application engineer, launch pads, uh, for one, just have a coolness factor to them, right? Uh, <laughs> but more so than that, what really interests me about the application is just simply how dynamic the service environment uh, of the refractory really is. Uh, and you're entirely correct that uh, it is quite challenging engaging which products are best suited for it. Obviously, we do a quite a bit of testing in any uh, product development cycle, but no amount of testing can really compare to the real deal. And this is really a perfect example uh, of why, because we simply can't recreate these conditions in a lab. Uh, on a launch pad, however, even though that direct exhaust temperature is well, well above uh, the melting point of many refractory oxides, it's also important to consider that the thermal loading is a really, really short duration. Uh, so a lot of these temperatures are predominantly only really seen at the refractory surface. Um, and we've even verified some of this with uh, transient thermal analysis. We also will consider the product's thermal shock resistance, uh, since it's also a good indicator of the product's work of fracture. At the end of the day, uh, these and other data points are simply used to narrow the number of products down to do some smaller scale testing for customers. Uh, as I mentioned before, nothing really beats the real thing. But what is a close second is a smaller scale version of the real thing. Uh, and this is how our Apollo Crete line came about. Pretty much the selection and development of the products used in the Apollo Crete line was a direct result of uh, testing that was done at NASA's Stennis Laboratory. I don't, I don't think it was mentioned, Corey. Uh, how, how hot are we really talking about here? What, what, kind of, what kind of temperatures are the refractory seeing? That's another great question, uh, and uh, usually kind of how I uh, answer that one when people ask is, if some of the rocket scientists uh, aren't really capable of telling us what the true service temperature is, uh, I certainly don't stand a chance of uh, figuring out either. Um, 
we know that you know the theoretical uh, flame temperature out of the exhaust is is well up over 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, that being said, since we are adding a lot of water into uh, the flame trench, you know you do get quite a mixture of uh, many different temperatures, so to speak, uh, and it all depends on where in the flame trench or the deflector pad it really is. So. Uh, I'd say somewhere between 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit and uh, the temperature of boiling water, if that narrows it down for you. How's that for a range? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I actually read a, a few days ago that um, these launch pads are used up to 15 times a year. So logically, I guess these flame trenches are supposed to be used more than once, right, with only minimal repairs. And John, you've mentioned that you've seen these flame trenches and you've been on them shortly after launch. How much maintenance work is actually required? Well, typically they are, are not doing repair every uh, launch. They uh, need to get the rocket area set up for uh, the next uh, launch and therefore um, they want to do minimal amounts at any given time. Uh, the degree of erosion uh, uh, certainly uh, varies and uh, when you do see where the greatest area is in the uh, deflector, you've got the velocity taking place there. And as Corey says, uh, temperatures of over uh, 5,000 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. So in that deflector area, it is, uh, those are uh, intense conditions. And that's basically where you've got the vertical forces of the gases coming out of the rocket are being um, diverted to a horizontal uh, level. And during that uh, conversion process, if you will, the refractory does uh, show some signs of um, erosion. Sidewalls and floors also uh, do show uh, certainly abrasion, uh, in particular uh, at the uh, juncture uh, where those uh, two uh, surfaces uh, meet. Uh, again, these hot gases are pushing outward and uh, this will uh, create erosion. But for the most part, you don't uh, require a lot of uh, repair work, if any, in between launches. Uh, understand you've got thick refractory. It's 9 to 12 inches. Uh, but when repairs are done, it's typically uh, as a result of an accumulation of, of wear. And um, these repairs may be 2 to 6 inches in thickness. And uh, many times they're just small areas. After a number of uh, campaigns, a major uh, resurfacing uh, must be done. And that can be extended areas of the uh, sidewalls, floor, or uh, deflector area. Now, what's interesting is what lies ahead for us. You know, with the demands of these uh, powerful propulsion systems, uh, who knows uh, how frequently uh, they'll need to do uh, repair work or uh, what they're going to expect uh, of our uh, material. It's certainly uh, an intense area. It's exciting and uh, challenging. And uh, at the end of the day, as Corey said, it's, uh, it's kind of cool. Uh, but whatever the demands are for our polycrete material, I'm certainly confident that Harvest and Walker International uh, will be part of that adventure ahead of us. John has some really good points. And in, in just if you look at kind of the trends that we're seeing in the overall amount of thrust going up, so bigger, stronger rockets. Uh, but another trend that we're, we're certainly seeing in the industry, and I, I 
think is one that's you know, clearly going to continue is the launch cadence or the launch frequency is going to go up as well as more people Absolutely. develop develop uh, you know business models that require having things you know floating up there in space you know we're going to start seeing more and more uh, launches every year. Corey, uh, I, I'm hearing high temperatures obviously and, and abrasion. Um, and then with the, the water thermal shock. So what, what other destructive mechanisms are at play here? Yeah, yeah. High temperature is certainly kind of the first thing that would come to mind when imagining what a refractory is really being exposed to. Um, but that isn't the only refractory uh, concern that we have. There is plenty more going on just than a rapid high temperature exposure. Uh, for one, simply consider the fluid dynamics. Uh, extreme boundary surface conditions or the high speed fluid flow at the refractory surface. Uh, John's already, you know, mentioned just the extreme downward force of that uh, thruster pretty much being diverted sideways. I mean, you can imagine the kind of forces at play there. Uh, another potential destructive me mechanism actually comes from within the refractory itself. Uh, we know that we purposely are drenching the refractory with water right before we expose it to high heat. This is essentially a textbook recipe to promote a steam fall. Uh, we put water into the porosity and then we expose it to enough temperature to convert that water into steam. Um, and it has the potential to, to cause it to pop or to uh, cause a steam spall. Um, however, all of our monolithic products have a special additive to allow the dissipation of this uh, internal pressure, um, but it's an excellent reason to use um, our products as opposed to a conventional concrete or gunite. Um, everything I've mentioned so far are things that occur in a really short period of time during the actual launch. Another thing to consider is, is what happens after the launch. Uh, does the fuel system generate acidic components that can compromise the cement hydrates? Um, what will the refractory be exposed to on a normal day? Uh, the destructive mechanisms are obviously much less intense. However, things like marine corrosion uh, are certainly things that we consider when picking cement types. Uh, as you can tell, there are quite a lot that goes into the recommendations of our Apollocrete brand. So why does Apollocrete work so well here? So uh, first off, we, we do have multiple brandings under the Apollocrete name. So we kind of have a high and a low end. Um, we do have one that is uh, based on Sentinel RC, another product that we use in the industrial segment. Uh, and, and that one works really well, uh, primarily for the economics of it. Uh, you know, it is a cheaper product, but it, it is more than capable of handling the service conditions uh, directly outside of flame impingement. Uh, really good at handling the marine corrosion because of the type of cement hydrates that we, we put into it. Um, it has a fire clay base on the aggregate, uh, which is pretty darn good at, at withstanding pretty high temperatures. Um, but it's also in, in direct flame impingement testing, uh, kind of has been proven to promote pretty minimal amount of glassy phases, uh, which are important because if you if you really generate too many glassy phases, there's always the potential that, you know, during the next launch that those are, uh, you know, things that are going to pop off the hot face. Now, when we talk about the other branding, which would be the uh, 93Z3 type branding, we are looking at a very high purity type product made out of high alumina, uh, as well as having uh, spall inhibitors.
with it. So this is a um, addition that we make to that product to really promote very high thermal shock resistance. And then since we are essentially making it out of a high purity alumina, it's already going to have much, much higher uh, melting points. So aside from the material properties being designed to withstand the flame trench application, what can you tell me about the installation methods that are used with the Polycrete products? Yeah, so that was uh, one of the most important reasons why why we took a Polycrete where we took it was, uh, you know, because of the benefits that we saw from from the shotcrete or from the uh, just installation method. Um, as great as gunite is, it's, it's never going to meet the properties uh, of a similar type product when it's shotcreted. Um, so just in case our listeners aren't familiar with the differences between gunite and shotcrete, uh, I'll first explain what they are before I explain why one is superior. Gunite is pneumatically conveying the dry material through a hose to a specific point of application. Uh, and a guy on the end of the nozzle called the nozzleman controls the amount of uh, water that's introduced into that material. Now, shotcrete differs from this uh, in that the material and water are pre-mixed using very specific ratios and pump down a hose or pipe to the nozzleman. The nozzleman still has valves controlling air and an activator solution, but the overall amount of water of the product is not something that we leave to essentially be eyeballed. Uh, water in a hydraulically bonded product is absolutely critical to properties, and uh, we also see other benefits like lower porosity. Aside from the imp improved performance and properties, we also see economic benefits as well. Reduction in the overall amount of wasted material due to rebound which is essentially the uh, material that simply doesn't make it onto the wall. And we also see higher installation rates. That being said, small repairs or light maintenance work, Gunite is an excellent option. Uh, and with HWIs, your supplier, we have materials that are more than capable for any size job. Well, thank you guys. Thank you, John. Thank you, Corey. Uh, we see some pretty intense applications at HWI, but none quite like what the Atlas V rocket is going to put on the refractory in that flame trench. If you'd like to learn more about Apollocrete or, or any of the other refractories used in the space industry, please write, reach out to us at technical-marketing at thinkhwi.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or Google Play to catch the next episode as soon as it's released. Thanks for listening.